Marijuana smoking, experts point out, can make a helpless addict of its victim within weeks, causing physical and moral ruin and death. The first legally sold marijuana here goes to an Iraqi war veteran. A new insurance study out this week looked at car crashes in several states that allow the use of recreational marijuana. Barry Peterson You're a doc. You've studied this. You've talked to the researchers. Right. You're saying marijuana can kill cancer cells. Who taught you how to do this stuff? You, all right? I learned it by watching you. Marijuana is illegal under federal law. States have legalized records. No wonder you can't open your eyes. What do you expect to open yourself up with this wrong stuff? What do you know about pot? All right. Good morning. You are listening to the Cannabis Hour a bi-weekly radio program where I discuss all things cannabis. Thank you so much for tuning in and joining me today. I'm your host, Jen Procacci. We've got a fantastic conversation awaiting you today, a discussion of Native American cannabis culture and policy with two esteemed leaders in the field. We have Mary Jane Oatman and Joseph Montoya, and facilitating the conversation and co-hosting with me today is the fabulous Dan Turvey Phil, a dear friend of mine and the catalyst for today's show. Thank you, so Jane. So I'll go ahead. Oh, you're welcome. I'll go ahead and give a little background on each one of these guests, and then they'll say hello, and then we'll get started. So first up, we have Mary Jane Oatman. She is the founder of the Indigenous Cannabis Coalition and Tribal Hemp and Cannabis Magazine, otherwise known as THC. She comes from the Nimipu people of Idaho's Nez Pierce tribe and is dedicated to the preservation and restoration of indigenous communities and economies. Oatman educates and advocates for the acceptance of cannabis and natural healing through the sharing of indigenous stories. Joseph Montoya is a 39-year-old Native American cannabis farmer. He has been actively working on tribal cannabis for the last five years of his life. Joseph's passion is to work with all Native American tribes interested in growing cannabis and participating and contributing to a tribal network for cannabis growing, cultivation and distribution between all tribes in the country with an emphasis on California. Joseph's vision inspired him to create California Green Chief LLC in 2017. He holds the title of CEO Chief Executive Officer of JDM Enterprises and creator of the Green Chief Farms brand. And he is a tribal member of the Big Valley Rancheria of Pomo Indians. And Dan Turvey Phil is an educator and advisor at Arizona State University. He is a certified Gangier class of 2021, yep. a partner at Green Chief Brand, manager at Soil King Enterprises, an event producer at Ladybug's Movie, and last but not least, a very proud Mendocino Generations mascot. Yes. So good, <laughs> good morning, everyone. Dan, you want to go ahead and say hi? Yeah. Hi. Good morning. Um, uh, it's so great to be here with everybody. And I'm so glad that this got facilitated. And really, this conversation started, I mean, gosh, five years ago, I mean, with all of us. And 
talking about cannabis and, and really what is the biggest challenge that was for us in the regulated market was that path to market through that regulated framework that we all have to work within, whether it's with the local agencies or with the state. And so it, uh, it's been a really fascinating conversation to see how difficult it has been for uh, legacy farmers to get their uh, product to market and having to deal with distributors and and just all of the challenges that that we run into and um, you know and, and a lot of this came from the promises that weren't kept to the small farmers uh, as part of Prop 64 and caused the situation that we're in right now today and then an added layer to that is 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 what I've just discovered recently after meeting um, uh, Joe out in um, out in Lakeport I actually have done some work in Lake County with licensure um, on the state level. And to, to, to hear that they had a, a, a tribal ordinance and that they were licensed to cultivate and distribute, but they couldn't participate in the California regulated market because they are unable to credential their licenses in what's called metric, which is the California tracking trace system. And so uh, it's just another added layer of challenge for, for uh, the, the tribal and, and Native American brands to to get their products to market so there's other creative ways and, and that's why i brought mary jane and joe together to kind of talk about just tribal cannabis um policy and and, and culture and 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 really the history of of what got us to this conversation today thank you dan uh, mary jane do you want to chime in and say just say hi to everyone well, thank you all for, for tuning in and listening and to learn more about tribal hemp and cannabis and just what Indigenous tribes across the nation are doing to build economic development and workforce opportunities for our people. It's just an honor to, to join one of our Indigenous entrepreneurs with Green Chiefs and, and Joe Montoya. And, and thank you, Dan, so much for being an, an advocate for the inclusivity uh, with this whole BIPOC movement and social equity and cannabis uh, reform and policy. Uh, oftentimes we hear uh, a silenced eye. We don't, uh, we don't hear much about the indigenous perspectives, uh, which include the protection of tribal sovereignty, uh, our homelands, our watersheds, and our communities. And so... Uh, you know, I formed the Indigenous Cannabis Coalition, you know, mostly out of need because I, on the on the policy side, I wasn't hearing a whole lot of um, information about what tribes were doing, um, who was advocating for that protection of tribal sovereignty. And then on the, you know, the plus side of it is uh, I, I, I'm a storyteller by trade. And I know that it's just important for us to, to leave that thumbprint for um, future generations to see a reflection of themselves. And I wanted them to know that we were here doing this work to plant seeds for them, uh, you know, seven generations down the road. And so that's kind of why I did the, the THC magazine as the education and advocacy component of the Indigenous Cannabis Coalition, which is a 501c3 advocacy uh, nonprofit and the, um, the preservation of story so that we could capture uh, entrepreneurs like Joe out there blazing trails, as well as tribes like, you know, what's happening with the, you know, intertribal uh, marijuana Christian tribes where they're working together to develop policy, where they're finding creative ways to work, um, work in synthesis or in synergy with programs like metrics where they're not ceding tribal sovereignty, but they're working within, within those structures 
Um, there's just a lot of gray area, and I think within those gray areas, it's a time for tribes to run forward, not to not to be as cautious as they have been. So that's our job right now, just to be, um, you know, there's advocates for our tribal communities. Absolutely. And um, Mary Jane, you are a very professionally accomplished woman, even outside of the cannabis world. So would you just share with our listeners a little bit about the other work that you've done in policy? Quite honestly, Jen, I'm living my my dream job, which I built uh, from scratch with the Indigenous Cannabis Coalition. But the framework of it comes from my long work and service across Indian country and policy development for education. Uh, I served as the youngest appointee for the Obama administration for the National Advisory Council on Indian Education. I did a stint back in Washington, D.C., working for the National Education Association for policy setting um, during No Child Left Behind. And during that time frame, we uh, swiftly uh, executed the White House um, executive order on American Indian and Alaska Native Education in like a really rapid time frame. And a big part of that was, you know, getting um, those shared policy priorities from the tribes, you know, getting loud and proud about them in the Beltway and in Washington, D.C., and then getting our tribes to, you know, it, it's, it's almost like at a surprise party, you know, where everybody shouts one, two, three, surprise, you know, that makes an impact. And that's kind of the tactics that we have to take within tribal communities, because there are so few of us, is to you know, all at the same time, be saying the same thing so that we can be heard. And so I'm, I'm taking a lot of those, um, the, the policy strategies, uh, my background in education policy, and, and my ability to build bridges between communities to do that for cannabis. And so, um, you know, the, also the upside of that is this is, this is also new. And so I really, I look forward to, you know, to somebody, you know, coming along with another cannabis media company just for tribal communities because it's overwhelming there is a lot of work to do and i really want to thrive on the policy side the media side of it is a lot of fun but interns uh you know young workforce mentorships i'm open to the opportunities to bring many on to this journey that is beautiful thank you for sharing that <clears throat> i love hearing how your professional accomplishments brought you full circle into your dream career of cannabis policy that is totally awesome um, Joseph, would you share with us a little bit more about yourself and about Green Chief and just say hi to everybody? Sure. I'd first like to say thank you for giving this opportunity to us, Jen, you and Rich and uh, KCYZX uh, and, and all the listeners. Hello. Um, yeah, I, I started uh, Green Chief Farms back in 2018 under my, uh, my tribal cannabis ordinance. My tribe is, has been awesome. We had some great leaders there. Uh, Tony Jack was our, our tribal chairman, and he uh, established our 64-page cannabis ordinance that allows us to cultivate, uh, create a business, create a brand, and and really just go for it. You know, get into the get into the cannabis industry. Um, my tribe has a, a dispensary. We also have a tribal cultivation, and and under our ordinance, um, tribal members are allowed to have a personal cultivation license, uh, a cannabis license, a business license. Um, so it's awesome. Back in 2018, me and my, my partner, which is my cousin also, we, uh, have, we had 24 plants in, in our backyard and, and we grew over 120 pounds. 
and we grew some some really awesome cannabis and people loved it and and so that's when i really got the idea of you know we need to brand it we need we need to start a company and and we need to show the world that we don't need to hide anymore under our our ordinance that we could jump in the business and and go for there it is dan right mgm that that's our home base and our home dispensary and and you know so um yeah that's kind of where it all took off that's where the idea came about of let's let's stand like everybody else in the in the cannabis industry and let's create this this awesome company and i've had great partners come to join me i've had great investors um it's brought me to to work with people like mary jane who's getting the message out there she's featured us in in the in thc magazine um i work closely with tina brightway who's kind of my mentor she's actually one of the first um first uh tribes to be established and open a dispensary on tribal lands so i took a lot from her and and worked with my tribe and stayed under the ordinance and just kind of finding a pathway to to stay relevant and stay in compliance and and join the industry in a legal way so that's kind of where i yeah yeah um yeah so i have so many questions for both of you i think we could do maybe like five cannabis hours but unfortunately today we only have one um but i do want to let our listeners know that around 9 45 i will open the phone lines um and you can call in and ask questions of these amazing folks that are on the cannabis hour here today so you know keep that in mind as you listen um all right so joseph i wanted to ask you First of all, when you started Green Chief, um, or just when you were cultivating, I guess, even before you started Green Chief, what was that like for you in your community? You know, was it embraced? Was there pushback from your community? And then also, if you could go into a little bit about the challenges that you've had working with the state system and with metric. Right. Well, the challenges is because... um, the state doesn't recognize our license and the states don't allow any product grown on sovereign land into the California dispensaries to be sold. And so that's where we just said, okay, well, if they're not going to acknowledge us, you know, there's other tribal dispensaries that are in the industry that will take our product. So that's kind of where we kind of set up this network and, and work together to create our own, our own network and our own um, tribal cannabis market. And so I believe there's about seven tribal dispensaries right now operating in California with another three that should be coming online within the next year. So we're only able to sell our product from reservation to reservation. And that's where we work with, um, with intertribal commerce um, manifest. And we take our product straight from one tribe to the other tribe, straight from cultivated, straight from the farm to the dispensary. And so, so yeah. Um, we oh, go ahead. Sorry. Um, Green Chief Farms was one of the only tribally owned by tribal members in, in the market. Um, nobody else really on my reservation is really branded their cannabis. There's about maybe 14 or 15 growers on my reservation. But there's only about two, two to three companies that really have the idea to brand it and get their cannabis out there as a real company. So when we first started, um, 
yeah, we were working with our with our tribal uh, council. They really supported us. They got behind us. They have their own grow. They have their own dispensary. And um, it just kind of took off. It blossomed from there. It, it, we, we had some great, we grew some great cannabis back in 2018. Uh, we took 2019 uh, summer off because we started just as outdoor farmers. But now we operate on three properties and we have uh, a greenhouse and an indoor cultivation as well. Okay, thank you. Um, yes, yeah, so the first question that comes to mind here is, you know, why is it that the state of California is not recognizing your cannabis license. Um, and any three of you, you know, that have insight on the policy there, feel free to chime in um, because obviously that's, you know, pretty insane and disturbing to me. I can speak to what's happened, you know, at the national level as well, because, uh, I, you know, even with the writing on the wall uh, for some other states, they, they, they were able to pass their cannabis legalization and they did it wrong like california's prop 64 and leaving out tribes for the opportunities for compacting which would have been then that good faith bargaining and negotiating from you know sovereign to sovereign from state to tribal government to negotiate uh, you know all of the parameters like they did with gaming you know the one interesting part about that is you know with uh, with uh, casinos you know, tribes are required under the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act. So they are, you know, congressionally mandated to enter into compacts with the states. It's not like that in cannabis. There's no requirements for them to uh, enter into compacts with states uh, for cannabis commerce. However, uh, you know, when states leave out a tribe, fail to consult with a tribe in their own homelands, um, and then go into that activity themselves, authorize it, um, you know, license and permit it, you know, it falls into, you know, into regulatory and there's a lot of, you know, jurisdictional complexities, you know, where states don't have, you know, regulatory authority over tribes. And so it gets really complex. Um, there are other states out there that did the same thing like Michigan, where the tribe just tribes are deciding just to move forward develop their own safe, compliant regulatory systems for cannabis. And, um, you know, for example, the Bay Mills tribe uh, is one of the first tribes to open there in Michigan, and they do not have a compact with the tribe. They are fully vertically integrated, and they're looking now at, you know, what would this intertribal cannabis commerce look like, you know, working with the other uh, sovereign nations in Michigan. Um, it's really unfortunate, um, you know, that, that that happened and has happened with tribes because, uh, you know, when it comes to local control, uh, you know, which many of our uh, states are, are big on uh, in, their, in their language when they craft it, is they leave it open for the county authorities uh, who sometimes have adversarial relations with tribes to go in there and intervene with uh, with tribal commerce in cannabis. We saw that happen in, in California, even over hemp cultivation, you know, post Prop 64. And so, you know, there's a lot of element of this that, that has to do with racism that has a lot to, that stems a lot around land tenure and land insecurity um, because, you know, in, in some of these places where the land was taken from the indigenous people, you know, there's still, uh, you know, questionable, uh, you know, title over the lands and unsettled land disputes, water disputes. And so, you know, these um, 
these uh, unknowns cause fear. And a lot of times our politicians, when they are, you know, um, executing these laws, you know, they're, they're biased with those fear-based reactions. But we have, uh, you know, we have a lot of work that we have to do together. And I think that with the, um, the tribes coming to the table, especially in California, where they are federally recognized tribes and they have the authority to regulate under the Environmental Protection Act for Clean Water Act um, measures, that the tribes now are on the forefront under federal law to protect the cannabis industry and insulate it from some of the dirty farming practices, the harmful herbicides and pesticides that are being used. And <clears throat> just, um, you know, really being a lot more vocal about the, the legacy side of things because legacy cannabis is not the same thing as social equity cannabis. Uh, legacy, again, brings more of us into the conversation, especially in, you know, in the Emerald Triangle. You know, I'm really excited about the Emerald Cup coming up. And, um, you know, just sad to see that our, our tribal growers and cultivators are not able to, you know, throw down for the cup uh, challenge, again, because of those complexities of them not being state licensed and not being able to participate. Um, in Nevada, they've created their own Indigenous Cannabis Cup where the, um, the Intertribal uh, Cannabis Commission tribes um, all do their own uh, growers cup because you know they want they want to be able to have that uh, opportunity for their their cultivators to uh, to showcase and um, showcase their love of what they do and that's grow phenomenal flower yes absolutely i mean how terrible on so many levels and also like you said terrible that you can't come and participate in something like the emerald cup because of this crazy disparity in the regulations. I mean, when you brought up the word, when I heard you say the word legacy, also um, a question that popped into my mind for you is, could you speak a little bit on the um, legacy of cannabis and hemp cultivation in indigenous communities? Because from what I was, you know, reading a little bit on the, the THC magazine website, there is a lot there and a lot of it is not really super well known so if you would take a moment to speak on that that would be great oh definitely thank you so much for that question a big part of the uh the media side of tribal hemp and cannabis is uh eliminating the negative stigma that occurs in tribal communities uh you know part of that is the recognition that we have been utilizing plant medicines since time immemorial and that we have a fractured, not a, not a completely severed or broken, but a fractured relationship with those root medicines and those plant medicines. And so a big part of that is reconnecting to our oral traditions. And when we do that, many of our oral traditions from coast to coast um, have uh, stories of sacrament, of smoke. And then we look at the archaeological record and the ethnobotanical record, and we see an even greater presence of tribes as cordage people uh, making rope. Um, you know, some of the Western history of, uh, you know, noting that the homelands here prior to European colonization were very robust in, in uh, plant medicines as well as the, the fiber. Um, specifically in the Nez Perce homeland. So I'm a member of the Nez Perce tribe. It's a Columbia Plateau tribe in the, in the Pacific Northwest. And Lewis and Clark's uh, expedition journals speak very prominently of our, our chiefs, our peace pipes, our sacrament, and the smoke. And um, 
the other, uh, I guess the schism that came along during that same time is, you know, there were, there were global treaties about making hemp rope and about cultivating hemp and about building that infrastructure. But when the new world, uh, you know, quote unquote, new world was discovered, um, out here in the Pacific North specifically, uh, the timber, uh, was so robust and, and to this day still drives a big portion of the economy. Um, that, you know, it was like a, you know, halt the brakes on, on this big, uh, build out of the, the hemp economies because the, the timber barons saw, you know, the opportunity for building the nation's wealth, uh, you know, with that resource specifically. Um, but we also have really early journals that talk specifically about how the, the plant medicine that was being smoked by our people was, um, you know, a green leafy substance that was very much different than the tobacco. And then, uh, you know, our oral stories, you know, go back even further uh, with our trade patterns of these specific medicines and um, connect to the oral stories of how we actually got the seed and, and acquired these medicines through the great floods about 14,000 years ago. And so um, we have a lot of work to do in, in connecting these, um, these tribal oral histories. And um, a big part of that is just families, um, kin being able to heal. And, and I think that the permission that we give ourselves to heal is definitely that first step. Um, and we all know that because of the, you know, how we felt when we were entering into our own cannabis journeys um, and that it, it takes a certain amount of time before we even give ourselves that own personal liberation um, to accept the plant and what it does for us. And so, um, you know, having an external relationship with it is quite different. I do it specifically because I know who I am and where I come from with this plant medicine as far as being a Nez Perce woman coming from, you know, many decades, centuries of being rope makers and, um you know, we have a really short amount of time to, to make the impact while we're here. And so, um, yeah, I feel like, uh, and, and being born with the name Mary Jane, which is actually my name, my grandmother, um, she went to federal prison for cultivating um, marijuana in the 80s. And I have an aunt that's also named Mary Jane. And so I was raised in, uh, in a culture and a subculture of cannabis where it was always talked about as medicine and it was revered as a relative and always um, noted that it's not only a gift, but it comes with a huge responsibility and that it's not for, it's, it's not a medicine um, that calls to everyone. So. Right. Yeah, no, I would just like to say being from, from Lake County and, and big Valley Rapturia, our tribe is is always used it. Uh, we can carbonate our ourselves to being um, eighteen to twenty thousand years around uh, Clear Lake, you know, from from Mendocino to um, to Lake County. The Pomo people have been there, and I know some somewhere in that history they've used cannabis as a healing, you know. And as as it progressed, I know, you know, some of my tribal members have, have grown it, you know, since the sixties. County, which is you know we call it the uh, the front door or the back door of the Emerald Triangle, and and it's always been that outlaw cult culture up there. A lot of my tribal members have have hid in the hills of Cobb and and around the mountains of Lake County and grew it for 
to make money, you know, to really be be substantial for for their families and and so that's where really I think um our tribal chairman had really pushed for that ordinance to show that hey some of these boys around here can really grow some good cannabis let's 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 show the 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 state of California that we can compete and you know we can do this illegally the right way and so that's kind of where the history of Green Chief Farms is birthed is seeing my uncles and my cousins on the reservation, you know, have some of the greatest cannabis around. I remember being a kid when I first smoked a joint about 13, 14, and I lit it up. I said, hey, this smells like my uncle's car, you know, because he it was really good cannabis. And that's what what I what I remember as a kid is them smoking really good, you know, you know, really high percentage THC cannabis, really potent stuff. So that's really how I said, you know what? We don't have to, we don't have to hide. Let's show them that we could compete. And Greek Chief Farms is one of those companies that's going to lead the way and, and do it the right way and working with Dan and helping him, helping us stay in compliance and hearing these stories from Mary Jane of how we need to work together and start the inner cannabis uh, tribal commerce pathway you know, and work together. I really designed Green Chief Farms for the day that my cannabis will be able to be sold in the dispensary, the travel dispensary in Oklahoma, in New York, you know, down in Florida. And and we know that day's coming. So that's really what we push for. And and we really kind of stay in compliance and, and know that when that day comes, Green Chief Farms will be ready. Me and Mary J like to say that uh, we're the spearhead of the movement, us and, and a few others too that really are pushing that that day to come faster than we think and be prepared for it. Absolutely. And I 100% believe that cannabis is top notch. I am sure it is totally awesome. Um, Dan, I wanted to ask, is, is there anything that you wanted to add to that uh, conversation about Green Chief and the intertribal commerce? Uh, Noah, Dan, get, yeah. there you go. Yeah. There I you was go. muted. Um, yeah, so uh, what I wanted to speak about is what really kind of brought us together in all of these different, um, gosh, it's just like just been this emergence over the last five years of these different programs and different, um, uh, gosh, different uh organizations that I've worked with over the last five years from meeting you, Jen, with Mendocino Generations and working with Chia Rodriguez and uh, and River Shy and, and be, being a part of that whole Mendogen family and then seeing that blossom into what happened with Ladybuds and, you know, eventually becoming an event producer for them uh, because of my love and passion for these 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 cannabis, these legacy farmers that are, are really trying their best to participate in this really broken regulated system. And then, uh, you know, learning from Patrick King, the soil king, and, and finding out that, you know, where green chief grows in big root soil. And uh, and so that that that's really another one of these like shared values that have just all kind of emerged. And from that, I ended up finding the Gangier program and went through the year-long program uh, learning from just legends in the industry, um, you know, uh, from from Humboldt to uh, to Washington. I mean, just just all over, um, just like learning from Swami and Nikki, you know, and um, uh, Kevin Jodry and just you know Patrick King, one of my you know friends and mentors, and uh, and to now uh, have this synergy between all of these different organizations and and seeing that you know where Green Chief goes. Uh, Joe, what do you say? 
wherever you I say walks, uh, we walk on soil king soil on big roots. You yes. know, we were really big supporters of, of Patrick King and and his soil, the soil king, uh, big roots. It, you know, it starts with if you take care of the plant, the plant take, will take care of you. But it starts 100%. with great being us being cultivators. We really want to give people great medicine. And so it, it really starts with knowing your soil, knowing your organic, you know, what's in it, where it comes from. Uh, so that's really what, what really we're based on is giving people quality. And with, yes. with Pat soil and, and our, our knowledge of cultivation, it's a winning, winning uh, uh, recipe. Right. And, and we're really, uh, you know, with, with the Soil King, um, it, really talking about and really trying to educate um, consumers about, you know, soil and, and really this base for what you're building everything else on and uh, really making sure that all of the inputs are beyond organic, beyond sustainable, really regenerative, you know, uh, rebuilding this planet. And, you know, like, like Patrick King likes to say is, you know, changing the world one plant at a time. And that's so true. And that's, that's, that's really what our mission is. And, and for me and the Ganjier program is really educating the world one person at a time. And if I can really just talk to one person and change their opinion and attitude on cannabis as a medicine, then that's one other person that will tell their friends. And then um, as this medium here on this tele on this uh, um, zoom call, um, it just, it's just, um, it's again, just this coming together of all of these different people, like my background from the university you know, having spent 23 years in the public sector and educating and, and working with um, uh, uh, students from the tribes, from the Navajo tribe, from the Apache tribe, and, and seeing them thrive. I actually posted a picture of two of my students that are now, um, you know, one's a doctor. Um, he wanted to do tribal medicine. He's, uh, he's, he's in Utah now. And I've got another one that uh, just graduated from John's, John Hopkins um, from the um, from up north, um, but uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's been this incredible journey that led us to today, and thank you all for this. And um, and uh, uh, one thing I wanted to pitch real quick is we do have a an event coming up where you can uh, see Joe and the Green Chief team. We're going to be doing a um, a super spring sale to support the Soil King and the the community uh, uh, in Cloverdale. Um, we're doing an artisans market. It's going to be on Saturday, May 21st uh, from 11 to 4. And we do have, um, uh, uh, like I said, uh, Green Chief will be there. We'll have other artisans from Lake County, from Mendocino County, from Sonoma. Um, we even have people coming up from the Bay Area. And um, we've got a veterans cannabis group that's going to be there. And, and it's just going to be a really great community event. We haven't we haven't had an event at the garden center in over two years. So it's going to be a, a really great coming together for the community. And um, big girl's going to be there with his barbecue. And, uh, and we also have um, taste buds going to be there for the vegan options, but thank you for, again, this opportunity to speak. And, um, and Jen, don't you have some stuff coming up in LA tomorrow? Um, oh, I do. I sure do. Yes. Thank you for bringing that up. So tomorrow yes. I am going to be, yes, let me pull up the exact address here. Um, I am going to be at LA Patient and Caregivers Group, which is down in LA on uh, 7213 Santa Monica Boulevard in West Hollywood. Um, so if you're in the area, please come check it out. It's going to be a, a farmer's market next to LA 
PCG um, from 420 to 7 p.m. And I'll be there with my farm wildland cannabis and other farms participating are Rebel Grown, Emerald Spirit Botanicals, Swami Select, and Mendocino Family Farms. It's going to be great. We'll definitely have some deals for everyone that comes through. And we're going to be there just promoting our farms and also doing consumer education on regenerative sun-grown cannabis. So we're so stoked for that because it's really going to kick off the Emerald Cup weekend down in L.A. Um, that, you know, a few of us on this call are journeying down there to, you know, bring our story down to L.A. and show Southern California kind of what we're all about up here and bring our cannabis down there and show it off. So we're all pretty excited about that. I know, Dan, you're going to be there. Joe's going to be there, too. Mary Jane, I so wish you were going to be there, but we're going to have to work that out in the future. (laughs) Yes, but um, I will touch on that again before the end of the show. But before we open our lines up to callers in about five minutes, you know, um, I just wanted to point out the incredible level of like motivation and education among the people on this call here today. Um, You know, we have Joe, he's starting his own business, he's working to improve intertribal cannabis transportation and provide economic opportunities for his tribal members. Mary Jane, all the amazing things that she is doing in the cannabis community um, for her community. And also, you know, she was part of the work for the Obama administration. Uh, Dan, an incredible professor and member of the... um, University of Arizona, there's so many stigmas and misconceptions around cannabis and cannabis culture. And I think that this uh, radio show today is serving to help dissolve those uh, just by uh, benefit of the people that are on the show here. But is that something that Mary Jane or Joe, you would like to speak on, um, particularly within your own communities? Does that stigma also exist? And what is that? What is it like to to be in cannabis and also you know, dispelling that in your communities. Go ahead, Mary Jane. Oh, okay. I, I was just going to say that there definitely is still some, some stigma and a big part of it that I'm noticing is just around the, uh, you know, the, the old school reefer madness that, that unfortunately a lot of our elders had to endure and so a big part of the work that we're doing is educating on the many ways to, to consume the beautiful plant medicine and that it's, it's that we've, uh, we have many more ways of consumption beyond just smoking. And once our elders have the opportunity to actually apply topicals or they see, you know, tinctures or many of them are like even curious about suppositories that they are becoming the ambassadors now you get some of that staff on an elder that's got pain and they're they've been living in a state of pain and they actually have relief with cannabis therapeutics game over they become the ambassadors and so that's what we really need to do is be getting more of the medicine into the elders hands and even if we have to take the baby steps with cbd and then let them know the benefits of the thc components and then just keep working in that manner I, I was just going to add to that. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, really, it's some of the elders that are really against uh, against the plant and against cannabis. And and really what Green Tree Farms is really trying to do is, is get the opiate off the reservation and, and be, uh, 
be a uh, substitute for that. We, we really want to turn people onto the plant and, and the medicine of THC and, and CBD. We started our own CBD line, and it's, it's a great medicine. We, we give it to our elders. They love it. It really helps them with pain. But, uh, yeah, just to, just to get the opiate addiction off of these reservations across the country, we know that it, it, it's, it's a bad epidemic from from east coast to west coast on all these reservations a lot of these yeah youngsters are are on these pills and and really if we can turn them on to, to plant medicine which is our our ancestral way you know that's really our mission and it's just it's sad to see that um we don't get resistance but you know some people are really stuck in their ways and really don't see cbd or thc as a healing or a plant you know alternative Dan, is there anything that you wanted to add there? Um, no, I just um, I just wanted to you know say thank you again for for facilitating this. I wanted to say thank you to KZYX. I'm so stoked. I was driving home last night. I heard that the the goal was 150,000, and they ended up with 154,452 as of last night. So thank you to all the people that that contributed uh, through that campaign and and allowed this type of medium to occur for us to have this hour uh, to be able to zoom in like this from all over from the coast to Idaho, <laughs> you know, so it's, um, it's, it's just been really great. And, um, and I'm just filled with gratitude for this community and the education that I've learned over the last five years. I actually have my Mendoversary coming up on uh, May, May 17th. I've been here for five years. And so uh, it's been a great journey and uh, this is how it's kind of culminated. And uh, thank you. Wonderful. Yes, we are here dispelling the lazy stoner stereotype on today's show because the people on this Zoom call are anything but lazy, are highly achieving professional people making huge positive changes for their communities. So on that note, um, I am ready to open up the phone lines. So if you're listening and you have a question or a comment for any of the wonderful folks on the show today, you can give us a call. That number is 707-895-2448. That is 707-895-2448. So the lines are open and we are ready to take your calls. And while we wait for some callers, I have a question for both Mary Jane and Joe. Um, I'm a cultivator as well. So of course, the cannabis nerd inside of me wants to know what your favorite strains are to grow in your gardens. And especially, are there specific strains that people in your communities really love to work with? And of course, if there's proprietary information involved that you don't want to share, that's totally okay. But I would love to hear about your favorite strains to grow. Um, Joe, do you want to go first? Uh, yeah, yeah. One of our, our favorite strains is, uh, is called the cold cookies. And, and we grew that outside and we had, um, I think it was about a 28% THC. It has a great flavor. It is uh, a really smooth smoke. And um, it's one that we're going to grow again this year. We, uh, we deal with a company called Prolifico Seeds, Coma the Grower, who's out of uh, Oregon. He's in Oklahoma now. But um, his, his beans, his seeds, and, and our feed regiment together with the Soil King Soil, Oh, creates an awesome, awesome strain, and, and it's just one of our favorites. Also, we had another one called the Strudel Set, 
And, and that's really, I believe that one was like a 31% THC. And these were all outdoor strains we grew in over the last two years. All tested um, and just really good, clean smoke. Really good, high potency. And so um, those are two of our favorites. And we're going to keep sticking with those throughout, um, throughout the whole next couple of years. I am Mary Jane. Oh, oh, yeah. No, yes. You know what? I'm a huge. It's okay. Go ahead. I was just going to say I'm a huge fan of uh, a farm out of Oregon. Uh, it's an indigenous-owned and operated farm, Forty uh, Fifth Parallel. Uh, they grow a phenomenal Northern Rick, and so I really like to to do some trades, you know, with with that family on that farm, uh, just to get to get access, you know, with our, our salmon bartering system. However, on my family's farm, uh, two years ago, we did a, a really, really good run of Chemdog. Um, my brother um, kind of put me in charge that year, and I think that I did a pretty darn good job. But the, the cherry pie, uh, I gave, gave that uh, Chemdog a run for its money. Um, we have to start, uh, you know, indoors uh, before doing any kind of outdoor just because of a shorter growing season where we're at geographically and still just playing with what cultivars, you know, really thrive in our region. Awesome. Thank you. And so we actually have our first caller. So we're going to go ahead and put that caller through. Hi, caller. Are you here with us? You're live on the Cannabis Hour. I am. Thank you for taking my call. And um, I want a bunch of other callers to be able to get in if they can. So I'm going to make it quick. Mary Jane, thank you so much for moving um, to the elderly population. I know that AARP did an article about cannabis um, years back, and I think a lot of the elderly population was was kind of just left after that um, with really, uh, is it good for you? Is it not good for you? So I think there was a lot of question in people's minds, and um, I really want to commend you for uh, educating our elderly population because um, I do believe that that is possibly one place where the trickle-down theory will work. Um, and then uh, speaking to your other guest, um, sorry, I can't remember your name, sir. Um, the, uh, the market, when spoken about in some of the community meetings and things that I attend, um, it, you know, in a lot of folks' mind is like, the market size itself, whether it's just allowed in and amongst uh, the tribal communities or in California or or being able to move it, I think is really the big question that's coming up. When people speak of the market, it's not worldwide. So the playing field is not quite level when it comes to the market. So I believe that you will be able to move it through the United States, but I would like to see it, you know, I think a lot of us would like to see the market be a level playing field, just like uh, the Vintners and other folks get um, when it comes to uh, things that are in this similar category. So um, thank you for speaking to the market and why it's not quite a, a level playing field for cannabis growers. That's my comment, thanks. Awesome. Thank you for that. So we actually have another caller holding, but before we put them through, I wanted to give um, any of you that had a, an 
wanted to give you all of you a chance to respond to that caller if there was anything that you wanted to say quickly. Uh, I, I would say that it's definitely not a level playing field. And that's why I opened this by saying the path to market. It's been so difficult. It's like, imagine the vendors not being able to get their wine outside of Napa Valley and outside of California, you know, and you're, you're stuck in this market. You can't export through, um, you know, Prop 64. We can't export through um, track and trace right now outside of California. And with Prop 64 and local control, with us having limited shelf space, because, um, you know, there's still... You know, I I think it's around 70%. I know the number has been higher, but there's still that 70% of the local communities, cities, uh, counties still have a prohibition on cannabis in California today. So that makes it really difficult for the small farmer uh, to get their shelf space uh, on these limited uh, dispensaries that are available. And so that's why a lot of us are looking outside of of um, of california my considered home state in arizona is is a thriving market prop 207 uh, since that approval um they 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 sold 1.3 billion in uh cannabis sales uh within the state of arizona and that's a huge emerging market um green chief we have our eyes on oklahoma and New York. And uh, again, these are other emerging markets that we as cultivators uh, and, and advocates need to really get our brands and our name out there outside of California. And that's one of the things that Soil King has done so well is 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 really pivoting from the California market to to, to go national, and uh, and that's why this has been such a good partnership between all of us because we have that vision of where we want to be not ten years from now but hundreds of years from now based on what we're working on at this moment. I just wanted to thank the caller for their comments and just you know piggyback onto that what Dan was saying and that. The, um, you know, that's where the big conversation is at the national level is how do we create the guardrails within the legacy market for them to be able to continue to do what is already being done. The demand is definitely there. There's many states on the East Coast where they do not want to build up production facilities if they know where the quality is. Their people are still going to want the delicious uh you know products that are coming from out of california from out of oregon state they want sun grown there's many communities on the east coast that are not going to be able to produce what is being produced um you know genetically and phonetically out of you know areas like you know the the emerald triangle so we have to figure this out for the importer exporter market because um that that is also what is going to be able to to stabilize the market and be able to protect the local legacy farmers from uh, what we saw during, you know, the build out of the um, the alcohol uh, market post prohibition is where you know the distributors, uh, you know, are, are dominating and they're crushing the small guys. We do not want to see that happen in cannabis. So we have to provide the guardrails. Absolutely. All right. We are getting. We are in our last seven minutes here, and we have one caller holding. So we're going to put that caller through here. Um, hi, caller. Are you here with us? You're live on the Cannabis Hour. Am I? You are. Go ahead. Oh, good. Wow. Okay, so, sheesh, I want to say, whoa there, Mary and Juan. Before you leave the state or even the county, um, uh, well, I noticed that ever since it got legalized, 
uh, I, it's really hard to get cannabis, you know, for uh, for pain and whatnot. And considering that the whole market uh, opened up, the whole thing got legalized when it really just needed to get decriminalized. But anyway, the whole thing got legalized, and uh, and uh, uh, this big market thing uh, on the on the painful backs of people that needed it for med- for medicinal. Right? I mean, remember that. And yet, us people who need it medicinally, it is so much harder to get now. People used to just give it to me. You used to be able to just get seeds at the seed exchange at the farmer's market. And so I want to suggest something. Consider maybe a little appreciation, a little gratitude, a little tithing. I would like every... Hey, thank you, callers, so much. We're going to have to wrap it up because we are so close to the end of the show here. But thank you for your comments. And, um, you know, Mary Jane and Joe are giving so much to the cannabis community. Um, I think we actually need to appreciate them. But thank you uh, for calling in. So we are in the last four minutes of our show today. So before we wrap it up, I want to give plenty of time to Mary Jane and Joe to um, just leave us with some last thoughts and also let us know what is coming down the line for them next. Mary Jane, I know you have a podcast I read about, so I just want to, yeah, do you want to go ahead first and just let us know what projects to be on the lookout coming from you and also what thought last thoughts you want to leave our listeners with? Sure, we're really excited to be bringing our you know political uh, advocacy work back to Washington D.C. Uh, so this fall, we're going to be uh, planning a big policy summit back there. In the meantime, you know, if you happen to be traveling to Las Vegas for the Bud Tender Awards and the G4 uh, conference, um, try to catch us on the stage. Uh, we will be uh, on at twelve thirty tomorrow on Friday, May thirteenth at G4 um, for a panel called Honoring the Roots of Cannabis Culture. Really honored to be on there with Mandy Riveri with Cannabis Podcaster um, out of Denver, uh, Lanakia Evans with 365 Recreational Cannabis and Tiffany Newberry, uh, the, May- uh, the Mary Jane Maven. And then uh, the following couple weeks, we will be down in Vegas again for honoring the Sacred Circles uh, Indigenous Fashion Show and Entertainment uh, hosted at the Brooklyn Bowl in Las Vegas. And we're headlined by Mickey James, uh, hosted uh, and emceed by Dogface, uh, a.k.a. Nathan Apodaca, and really excited. I was able to lock in a new uh, special guest appearance by Gary Farmer, a.k.a. Uncle Brownie, uh, just yesterday. And so we're really excited for our sponsors, uh, which include Green Chiefs, Indigenous Grown and Res Kids, Agate Dreams, which is the Suquamish Nation, um, Dispensary out of Washington State. It was the very first uh, legally operated uh, tribal dispensary in the nation. And so we're just really honored to be the official media sponsors of that event. Um, Always uh, encourage people to check out our website, www.indigenouscannabiscoalition.com. You can download every single issue of THC Magazine for free. Um, You cruise through all of those. You'll see little uh, advertisements in there from the different dispensaries and our proprietary feature, which is a centerfold map 
of every uh, tribally owned and operated dispensary in the nation and um, a directory to accompany that. So we're just always looking for new content. So if you are a cultivator, if you're a bud tender that would love to be featured, you know, from Indian country, um, just go to our Mary, website Mary Jane, and hit us up. That yes. is also cataloged in the Library of Cong- Congress. Yes. Yes, the preservation of story is so important yes. for us for the future generations. Every issue of THC Magazine is archived in the Library of Congress. Yes, yes. That is amazing. So we just have one minute left here. And Joe, I'm going to give that to you. Any last thoughts you want to leave our listeners with? How can they find out more about Green Chief? How can we support Green Chief? Yes, if you if you, anybody's in the area in Lake County, you could uh, find our cannabis at uh, Mission Grown Medicinables. Our that's our home base. Our our, our products are always there. Um, we have a a, leave, a living CBD by Green Chief Farms um, rub and a lip balm. Um, we have some clothing line that's coming up. I'm mixing cannabis culture with Native American culture. We have a whole designs of hoodies, T-shirts. Um, Dan, do you want to tell them where they'll be able to find that at? Yeah, we're working on that right now as we speak. Um, we're going to have some items at the uh, Artisans Market on May 21st. And then we're also going to be in uh, in Vegas for, for Res. And then again in June, uh, June 17th and 18th, we're going to be out in Phoenix, Arizona for the Imperious uh, uh, Business Expo. And uh, we also have a session that we're going to, an educational session that we're going to be doing at that conference as well. Awesome. Thank you. So we have to wrap it up. Unfortunately, I could speak to the three of you for another hour and it would be a pleasure. But I just want to say thank Thank you you so much to, yeah, all to Mary Jane, to Joe, to Dan for joining us today for this fabulous conversation, for educating us on what's going on with Indigenous people and cannabis cultivation and cannabis culture. I am your host, Jen Prokopchi, from today with another episode of the Cannabis Hour for you. It's been an honor. Stay tuned for Portraits in Jazz. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.